0: But as the SHBG goes up, it makes your total testosterone look just fine. Thank you very much. But it actually reduces the free testosterone. So now you, if your doc is not paying attention, if he's only measuring a total, not a total and a free, he's going to miss the fact that you are missing the active form of testosterone, which is the free form that goes into cells that goes into the nucleus that connects with the androgen receptor and drives the DNA. And he'll just say, oh, your total testosterone is fine.
1: And it's not welcome to the capital integrative health podcast i'm your host dr andrew wong today we are happy to have dr alan mcdaniel join us he is a good friend esteemed functional medicine expert in the field of endocrinology allergy and chronic fatigue in this episode we shine a light on a topic that affects many men worldwide low testosterone Dr. McDaniel brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to our discussion, having dedicated his career to unraveling the complexities of hormonal imbalances empowering men to regain their vitality and well being. What exactly are the underlying factors that contribute to low T? How do lifestyle choices, environmental factors, and even emotional well being impact hormone balance? These are some of the questions we'll explore with Dr. McDaniel today as he takes us on a journey through the multifaceted nature of low testosterone. Uncovering the root causes that often go unnoticed in conventional medical approaches. Join us as we uncover the root causes, gain practical tools for rebalancing hormones, and embark on a transformative journey towards reclaiming your vitality and optimal health. Welcome, Alan, to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today. Well, Andy, thank you so
0: much for inviting me. It's a pleasure.
1: Yeah. So to start, we know that you're an expert in functional endocrinology, and uh, let's kind of just talk to our listeners. Uh, endocrinology is a, certainly a, a pinball machine. I would say that that um, you know we don't always know where the ball is, you know, going to end up. Even, but uh, let's talk about uh, tell our listeners a bit about what drew you, Alan, to become a physician, um, and and then especially an integrative functional doctor. And then what do you enjoy most about about what you do?
0: Well, thanks. I, I think it's really darmic. Um, I really never seriously thought about much of anything else. I, I think I was put into the right family, my mother's family, every other generation as a physician going back a long time. Uh, my father and his father were engineers so they gave me the, that nice little obsessive compulsive, ability to look at details and then put it together in the big picture that i needed and uh, i i really never had a serious plan to do anything besides medicine i got into functional medicine because my surgical training taught me that uh, a surgeon should always know two or three approaches to the same problem if the anatomy is different if something's stuck down you got to go the other way and that has been enormously useful in working with my patients in the clinic. Uh, In the about 1987, uh, I was looking at allergy uh, because I'm an ear surgeon and allergy causes most chronic ear disease, in my opinion. And uh, I then uh, had several patients who made me look at the yeast connection, which was my serious intro into uh you know integrative uh complementary medicine it turns out that that was actually a fantastic diet for insulin resistance which affects 40 percent of americans which is why once i started doing it i was but it was the most amazing treatment and and so i haven't looked back since i've just gotten more and more um, integrative. It's so much though so that it's hard to tell if I'm on the cutting edge or on the lunatic fringe. Sometimes, <laughs> which I, I think means we're doing it right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there's always you know progress that happens at the margins and at the margins of innovation. So you're an integrative, intergenerational physician who it sounds like started out as a surgeon and now you're really working with with patients and you know working with. I think, the public, too, in terms of education to to ideally avoid and prevent surgery, it sounds like, because that's kind of what happens when, when you kind of address the root causes, is that a lot of times people don't need surgery.
0: Right. I started doing allergy work because I was convinced that I couldn't reconstruct an ear and make it better than the ear God put there in the first place. Yeah. And since the original ear went bad, I had to get rid of the cause of the problem, so I did really aggressive allergy work. And I got great results, you know, nice compliments from my anesthesia staff, for instance. And um, then that got a lot of my patients over problems I didn't even ask about, like chronic fatigue. So then, chronic fatigue patients started coming to see me. And uh, that, that was my intro to endocrinology and nutrition, where I am stuck today. So I'm not uh, by any means trained to be an endocrinologist. I'm off the tailgate. Uh, I'm just self-taught. Uh, I'm not a researcher, but I am a bit of a scholar. Uh, I've read a lot. And uh, with my patient's permissions, we try things. And when it works out, I try it again. So here I am.
1: You're a, you're a scholar. You, you've published a lot of articles. In fact, the reason why that we got together is because I started reading this article that you have written in the Townsend letter a couple of years ago on low T hmm. and and I was so blown away by it I was like no yeah. one ever uh, you know explained it that way especially in that unique Allen style that you have <laughs> and I was like we need to we need to you know get you to talk you know I know you've talked with us a lot here at CIH and talked with you personally so yeah really wanted to appreciate and um, express gratitude for your mentorship oh, and well. friendship Thank,
0: thanks Andy it's it's really a privilege um, You help me fulfill my dharma. I have a little dharmic statement on my computer. I learn, I teach, I help practitioners, help patients. And at this stage of my life, that's my main focus. And I'm really grateful that you guys honor that and and can hear what I'm saying. I'm a slow learner. I'm slow on the uptake. And so I have to really understand something to be able to get it. And I think that helps me explain it.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alan. Well, let's go slowly, also and deeply <laughs> into this rabbit hole topic um, of of low testosterone in men. Now, now um, we talk about testosterone a lot. You know, it's it's very, I think, you know, popular in the mainstream media. Let's say, but let's let's talk about um, from a, a scientific perspective why tes- is testosterone so important? What does testosterone do in the body? How does it function in the body?
0: Well, um, testosterone is incredibly important it in utero it develops the fetus into an anatomical male and in utero it also directs the development of the brain to be more disposed to things like rough and tumble play um it uh is anabolic, so it builds up a body uh, in both male and female children, because both of us have testosterone. Uh, it helps to develop our bone density, our muscle mass, our cardiovascular system. In adolescence, uh, testosterone is the precursor for women's estrogen. And in men, uh, we have a different uh, amount of testosterone and more importantly, maybe a different ratio of estrogen to testosterone, and so in the yin and yang of uh, endocrine development, uh, we, get, um, <laughs> we get more yang. We get more bone density, more muscle mass, more uh, aggressive smack-em-down attitude, more libido, uh, and uh, bone marrow stimulation. Testosterone connects to the androgen receptor in the nucleus of our cells, and that it is a dna transcription factor that drives the the running of programs that give us a robust masculine body uh and uh through non-genomic receptors like in the brain the sigma one receptor testosterone gives men a more aggressive more optimistic uh attitude uh like i say rough and tumble you watch boys and girls playing, you know, there's a little difference in the brain. And, um, and then, other uh, in, in non completely not related to receptors, uh, testosterone in the tissues is converted to estrogen. So in the bones, in the lining of our blood vessels, the endothelium, uh, in our joints, our cartilage, testosterone is converted to have really high levels of estrogen in those tissues. Which further the function and maintain those tissues in a healthy fashion. So testosterone is one of the big things that helps to create and develop and maintain uh, healthy sexually dimorphic bodies. It means
1: men and women look different and act different. <laughs> got it. Got it. Thank you for translating that to uh, to English. There, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. And, and so it sounds like, just to follow up on that, though, Alan, that, that, lo- that, that testosterone, rather, is important in both men and women, and all, all, all humans, it sounds like.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Uh, there are a few unfortunate souls who were born without androgen receptors um, or without estrogen receptors. Uh, and, you know, they don't do that well. Um, and I think people with absolutely none probably don't do at all. So uh, it's, it's, you know, hormones are important. I learned that. Yeah. Know.
1: Well, let's, let's go into um, kind of defining what is, what is low. And I think obviously we know in functional medicine, there's what is considered the standard range or the conventional range of what is low. And then there's also probably what's considered, you know, suboptimal or, you know, considered conventionally mm-hmm low normal, but then it's sort of suboptimal. So how does how does Alan, how does Dr. McDaniel here define <laughs> low testosterone?
0: Well, right, it's like art. You know, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. Um, well, the first place is that um, there are a whole, the first thing I try to do is look in the literature and act like an academic and act like I know something and every different study for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years has used different definition i personally like the european male aging study Um, they define low testosterone uh, in the context of a man who has about three symptoms so and that makes sense if if a fellow is coming to us uh, we don't go out on the street and hand out orders for blood tests for every man that walks by us we wait until they come to us with complaints And so, you know, symptoms, obviously, is is a a key piece of it. And the EMA study looks at symptoms. But they they draw cutoffs of blood. uh, They call a low total testosterone less than 320 nanograms per deciliter. And that's right in line with the old Framingham study that's been going on forever up in Boston. Uh, They showed that 324 is right at the lowest 2.5th centile of their uh, bell curve, which is two standard deviations below normal. Um, And then the Europeans define a low free testosterone, which I think is the the most important measure considerably, uh, as less than... Uh, 64 picograms per milliliter is determined by the liquid chromatography tandem mass spec method, which is the new one. And a lot of us use the immunoassay, uh, which uh, if you do the unit's conversion, the EMA cutoff is 8.7 picograms per mil in the immunoassay. So a lot of our older patients, they come in they're normal at 6.5, and the in the range of normal is 6.4 to 18. Those guys are probably low. You know, the big advantage by the way of doing free testosterone is it is broken down by age brackets. If you're looking only at total testosterone, then you're comparing, you know, my 30-year-old son to his 70-year-old father. You know, it's all lumped together in the same pot, Whereas the free testosterone is not only the biologically active testosterone, so it's clinically the most relevant, but for our convenience, it's also broken down into uh, decade groups. So uh, a man in his 20s to 30s is going to have this value as normal. A man in his 70s to 80s is going to have way down there normal.
1: Does the testosterone level, Alan, affect things like Athletic performance, sexual performance, drive, vitality, all of that.
0: Absolutely. Um, When you drop down, when your total testosterone drops below 430 nanograms per deciliter, people will have pretty reliably reduced libido. So there are some nice studies out showing cutoffs of symptoms at different levels of testosterone. Like if you get down below a total testosterone of 200, Oh, man, you're going to start to get depression, uh, apathy to life, uh, loss of optimism, less energy. They don't work as well. They can't sleep as well. That Memory and concentration. I mean, who knew testosterone gave guys good cognition? I've raised three teenage sons, okay? <laughs> testosterone made them act like squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But, but actually, it preserves the brain and keeps us intact and it pre- protects us from things like Parkinson's. And uh, dementia. Okay. So testosterone's good stuff.
1: So a lot of sub questions um, that are swirling around in my head right now. So let's let's talk about the chicken of the egg question. You know, we know that you know 88 of people or more in the U.S. have metabolic syndrome. You know, met- insulin resistance. It may, maybe maybe I think you said maybe a little bit less, but uh, it yeah. depends on the study, I guess too.
0: Um, I I think there's pretty good data from NHANES of us are insulin resistant um, by heredity.
1: heredity. Uh, And
0: the problem is that the standard American diet has taken even people who don't have a strong genetic predisposition predisposition (laughs) to insulin resistance and made us insulin resistant by inactivity and lack of sleep and chronic stress and really bad diet changes and
1: toxins and in the diet too right
0: and and uh, in the environment you know yeah uh, and environment and endocrine disrupting chemicals
1: so someone has metabolic syndrome and has weight loss resistance you know can't lose weight or is gaining weight and and we test their say their labs and they have low t low testosterone Mm -hmm. That's a chicken of the egg question that I, I had for you, which is that is the low T contributing to the metabolic inflexibility that causes the blood sugar and insulin issues, or is it because is it is it that because someone has excess belly fat and their the adipocytes are converting the testosterone mm-hmm. to estrogen, stealing that away?
0: Yeah.
1: I'm looking at
0: the lifespan of a human from conception to dead. Uh, the first thing that comes is the genetic predisposition to insulin resistance. Uh, most 18-year-olds have prodigious testosterone, although I'm seeing a few that uh, you know, a few teenagers, not so much. Um, I, I've seen a 13-year-old type 2 diabetic in, mm. in my practice. It's mm. dreadful. Yeah. So, um, but people usually start with pretty good testosterone, and then as their diet and stress stress depresses the production of testosterone uh it's part of a normal protective response when we're really stressed we don't want to waste the raw materials to keep us alive by making hormones that help us reproduce which you don't want to do anyway when things are really bad got it so then the production of testosterone drops the raw materials for the use of testosterone are diverted to cortisol and aldosterone to keep us alive and uh the stress leads to insulin resistance, which truly uh, snowballs. It it makes an avalanche. So uh, it causes uh, excessive production of insulin, which is an energy storage hormone. So we get fat. And as we store energy, we increase our visceral fat, which increases the enzyme aromatase, which converts the testosterone we are still making to estrogen. So that you are right that 40 percent of men with metabolic syndrome and 50% of men with type 2 diabetes have low testosterone and elevated estradiol because they're losing their T to estrogen, which really works against us. And it's why a lot of fat men need a bro, you know, because they're making so much estrogen, they get breast enlargement, prostate enlargement. Uh, and it is a, it's, a, it's a mess. It's a cluster fornication. Um, but I think the uh, genetics for insulin resistance and, and a bad diet and lifestyle probably are the initiating, they're the triggering. Got and it. the testosterone is is just the uh, the victim. It, it's the
1: tail. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Oh uh, got it. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for that clarification and going back, That's to just it,
0: my opinion, Don't take it to the bank. You know? It's but an expert it, opinion. We'll it take is. it.
1: We'll we'll, uh, we'll take it. Uh, we'll take it at least to uh, you have to to the local and, bank. You have to yeah. smile and wink
0: when you call me an expert because I, you know, my credentials are just I do it. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experience is the best uh, teacher, though. You know, so yeah.
0: If you keep your eyes open, there are a lot of of mainline endocrinologists who have, must, who should, have a lot of experience, and they say things I think are incredibly naive. So hmm. you know. Hmm. That, that's what makes incarnation so interesting, and I think maybe why would we have to come back. <laughs> nice,
1: nice. I like that. I like that. Um, Alan, let's talk about one of, the, one of the questions that I think is generated from the EMA study comment that you made, which is that what are the common symptoms of low T? What, what are okay. those symptoms that people typically look at?
0: Well, I, I think I mentioned the mental symptoms. Uh, starting at a, when total T drops below 430, libido. Goes down okay okay uh when testosterone drops below 200 then you have the the uh, affect the depression the enjoyment of life optimism um you have lower energy less productivity at work uh, people get sleep problems and then cognition memory and concentration and planning starts to get flaky um genital urinary symptoms include uh fewer and weaker erections As a guy I know calls leaners, not boners. Um, (laughs) There's reduced serum volume, uh, semen volume, uh, with lower sperm count. People get prostate symptoms for a variety of causes. Okay, it's not just low T by any means. Uh, Breast enlargement, I mentioned earlier, is aromatase, converts testosterone to estradiol. Uh, And then uh, the the physical problems are because of the lack of the trophic function, so that muscle mass and strength and athleticism are all reduced, Um, the uh, uh, broken bones uh, from loss of bone density, uh, arthritis, uh, loss of support of the cartilage, Uh, men get hot flashes, vasomotor flashes, Hmm. when they have primary testicular dysfunction, uh, hot flashes are caused by the pituitary hormones that drive the gonads produce sex hormones. The British actually produced this in a study done way back in the 50s when they infused women with LH and with FSH and gave them high flashes, uh, and, and then low hemoglobin is another consequence of the loss of the trophism. The bone marrow just doesn't make as many red blood cells, uh, and then uh, there are other actions, uh, uh, you know, but. Um, I would recommend you, your viewers, to the uh, Adam questionnaire, the androgen deficiency in the aging male. Uh, you can Google it. Uh, I've got a website here for it, but nothing's more boring than reading long websites off of off of it. So, so just Google uh, low T questionnaires or Adam A D A M questionnaire, and there are a few references that uh, are academic from the early part of this century, and then I think 2017, 2018. Practices start putting it on, on the line so you can pull off your own copy
1: and it's, it's pretty handy thank you thank you alan definitely check out that adam no questionnaire uh we're always looking to get to the root cause here so let's discuss the causes of low testosterone you mentioned high cortisol yeah. stress poor diet what, what are the kind of common just to summarize for our listeners root causes of of low t okay and then...
0: i've got a little list thank you for sending me your questions ahead of time yeah uh, stress is huge i mean stress Stress, uh, a normal part of the stress response is the blocking of the production of sex hormones. The luteinizing hormone is just blocked. And so not only do the testicles not convert cholesterol to pregnenolone, to progesterone, to uh, DHEA, to androstenedione, but LH also takes the precursors over from progesterone to the DHEA and interesting dion. So the loss of LH is really big. Uh, and um, stressors include the lack of sleep. Uh, some of my patients act like I'm crazy if I think they should get more than five and a half or six hours of sleep.
1: E- even we- sleep apnea, yes. Oh, abs- that's on my list, yeah. Ah, Absolutely,
0: sleep apnea is a horrible
1: bandit of,
0: of our quality of life because we don't even know what's happening. We wake up feeling like crap and have no idea that we've been awakened every time we get into stage three sleep. It's it's like going into a restaurant. Sleep apnea, you know, you should have five stages of sleep. One, two, three, four, and then REM sleep. And you have four cycles of that a night and you're good to go, maybe five. And sleep apnea, as soon as we get into stage three, uh, it will wake us up. So we go stage one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three all night. We never get into REM sleep. And it's like going into a restaurant and ordering a meal and they bring you water and maybe some rolls. And then you get up and leave. And you go to another restaurant, you order a meal, they bring you maybe water and you get up and you leave. And you've, you've been in a restaurant all night. And you've never gotten a meal. And that's so what you're like- saying.
1: You're going to Olive Garden all the time. Sorry for all the Olive-, Olive Garden fans <laughs> <laughs> out there.
0: Yeah. Well, their service is better
1: than that. <laughs> yes, but yes, uh, absolutely great service there.
0: Uh, so, uh, and then, you know, the adrenal glands also, when we're stressed, the adrenal glands need the same precursors that we use to make testosterone and sex hormones. They need the same raw materials to make cortisol and aldosterone to keep us alive. So the body, the stressed body, like any sensible householder, when money is short, you put it into the things you absolutely need to stay alive. Food on the table, heat, the you know, the electric wheel, the water bill. And so uh, testosterone and estrogens, forget about it. Uh, Our body is just programmed not to do that. And then of course, we also mentioned the standard American diet with our fast carbs and all of the huge amount of insulin that we produce because of that causes us to be obese. And people who are obese have a 10 times higher risk of low testosterone than people who are not obese. It goes from 0.4% to 5% with obesity. And 50% of diabetics have low T. 40% of people with metabolic syndrome you were mentioning have low T. Genetics make a big difference. Um, About 40% of us, as we mentioned, are insulin resistance, which exaggerates the problem caused by our crappy diet. And then aging. You know, aging doesn't inevitably cause problems, but it it is strongly linked with low T for a variety of reasons. Most commonly is because our hypothalamus changes you know women have menopause because of hypothalamic changes and then we all act surprised that men have women for the same reason no that's not right how about late onset hypogonadism because the the uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the rate of oscillations the vibrations they call it pulsatile function changes it becomes more sensitive to inhibition by even a small amount of testosterone and so uh hypothalamic uh, hypogonadism is is the main cause of men with late onset hypogonadism. Second cause is that the testicles are changing. We are losing lading cells. Seventy year old men have uh, testicles that are approximately seventy percent the size of eighteen year old men, just from the loss of some of the Leydig cells that are the key players. And then with age, our liver makes more sex hormone binding globulin, which Takes the amount of testosterone that we can make and hoovers it up, which is great because the liver doesn't break it down and the kidneys don't pee it out. But less of it is available. Uh, so 99% of the testosterone that's bound to SHBG, it's out of the picture. Your body can't use it. And Alan,
1: why? Why? Excuse me. Why does? Uh, why does the liver, as we age, make more SHBG, uh, sex hormone body globulin? I don't know. <laughs> I was hoping you would know that. No one knows the answer to that, but uh, someone well, someone do does. But maybe you maybe what, not alcohol, maybe not human. So alcohol
0: causes you to make more SHBG.
1: Okay, okay. It's, so bourbon would not be worth. a good idea here. Yeah,
0: maybe that's why I don't like it. No, it's not a great <laughs> idea. But as the SHBG goes up, it makes your total testosterone look just fine. Thank you very much. But it actually reduces the free testosterone. Got so it. now you, if your doc is not paying attention, if he's only measuring a total not a total of the free he's going to miss the fact that you are missing the active form of testosterone which is the free form that goes into cells that goes into the nucleus that connects with the androgen receptor and drives the dna and he'll just say oh your total testosterone is fine and it's not okay um and so uh there are opiates you know we have an opiate problem in this country yeah and opiates Uh, How many people with chronic pain in this country? Uh, Prodigious numbers. Opiates disrupt the receptors that drive the production of sex hormones. So uh, something like 30 to 40% of men taking uh, methadone have low testosterone. And um, there are other endocrine-disrupting chemicals we talked about. I mean, there's a reason the alligators in the Everglades have been having decreasing penis size for decades. It's pretty bizarre. I was a zoology major in college. (laughs) And and, and then there are a few causes that we need to think about and look for. Our patients shouldn't worry about, but prostate cancer will make fragments of testosterone that will go to the brain and block the production of the gonadotropin-releasing hormone. and the fragments are too small for us to detect on a blood test for testosterone. So it's it's an invisible problem that keeps you from making testosterone caused by a prostate cancer that may not be detected with a PSA. So, okay. and, and also uh, uh, pituitary tumors can squish the, uh, the gonadotropic cells. And so you just make too little LH and FSH because you got a pituitary tumor in there. So okay. Those are unusual, but I, I think that we docs should keep it in mind when we're working up a guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so check prolactin level two?
0: Yeah, that that's the most common. Well, yeah. you know, ask him if they've had any headaches or vision changes. And honest to God, what new patient hasn't had headache? You know, mm-hmm, two-thirds mm-hmm. of them do. But it's it is something to consider. And I will definitely look at LH and FSH. Right. Definitely, I think. So if you've got a pituitary tumor that's squishing them, you're going to, your LH and FSH are going to be inappropriately low for a guy with low T. So Right, it's, because it's,
1: otherwise, if someone had low T and it was coming from, say, the, the testicles, the LH should be high. Right, yeah, situation. the
0: pituitary in the brain should be flogging the gonads. Mm, the come on feedback, down there, come on, yeah. come on. Right. But uh, but the problem is, of course, the uh, hypothalamic hypogonadism You'll see uh, a total testosterone of 280, and LH and FSH of 2.0, 2.2. Yeah, you that's know, not normal. Inappropriate, inappropriately low, right? Uh, so yeah, that's that's why you had you know that's why we get the big bucks you know because we have to think about these
1: things. Yeah yeah well <laughs> at least until AI comes out right and then <laughs> right. <laughs> well we'll have well, to drink bourbon at that point. Yeah uh,
0: you know garbage in garbage out. <laughs> Look who programs AI. It's all going to be the American Thyroid Association, the Energy <laughs> Society. Now they're coming yeah. around. Okay, I mean finally in 2020 they published a paper saying hey you know you guys maybe you should think about using some T3. I've been using it since 1991. Right? So they come around, but it takes a generation.
1: Well, that kind of goes along with the clinical research that shows that, what's it, 17, 18.5 years between the time of scientific discovery and clinical bedside treatment, you know?
0: That's more optimistic than I'd heard. I read 30 years. And, you know, uh, Jeffrey Bland uh, paraphrases Max Planck when they asked him, uh, how is scientific progress made, Herr Professor? And he said, one funeral at a time. <laughs> you know, so as the old guys die out, we get progress. And I'm an old guy now, so I'm hoping you guys will pick up the torch and you get going and show them some stuff.
1: Well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll follow your lead for sure. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> well, I guess I wanted to ask you also about the relationship between toxins, Alan, and hormones. What is the relationship there, especially, I was wondering, are there certain toxins, say plastics or phthalates or things like that, that are a root cause of low T, you know, in men? Um, and, and maybe even in women, if we could get to that. I, I guess I wanted to also ask you, if you don't mind, are some of these causes that you are mentioning as low low T causes in men, also low T causes in women as well?
0: Um, it's that's. Let me see if I can keep those questions in order. Uh, the first thing I'll say is is endocrine disrupting chemicals um, are abundant, and I don't know as much about them as you might think I would because I'm the past president of the American Academy of Environmental Medicine, so I should be just all over that, but it happens that that's not my bailiwick, and I have found that I, I treat the problem as I see it, and that Particular source is so hard to test, and it found so hard to get rid of. I don't spend my patients' money doing that. I'm unfortunately my heredity is Scots and German, and you know, except for maybe the Chinese, we are the cheapest people on the earth. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so funny. That's so funny. And so
0: um, you know, we know the estrogen receptor is. It's been called promiscuous. It'll hook up with damn near anything. As long as you have two OH groups about that far apart, the estrogen receptor loves it. It'll and, just do and, that. Okay. And you get into a problem. It's very much like um, that we see in giving women phytoestrogens or in giving women uh synthetic patented versions of progesterone called progestins like Provera. Uh you know, the stuff attaches to the receptor but it does so in an unpredictable way sometimes loosely and it gives you just a little stimulation so that they'll call a phytoestrogen and adaptogen that it helps a person who doesn't have any but it will compete with proper estrogen uh, and so it's actually an anti-estrogen in that response and, and, and um, uh, the progestins will just glue themselves, like Provera, methyl, methylprogestin, uh, will glue itself to the progesterone receptor and strongly stimulate it and you can't get it off. Oh, get off, get off, get off. Um, and so that I know that must be happening with androgens. And with androgens, there is, we mentioned the yin and yang balance between uh, androgen yang and estrogen yin, you know uh pretty clear from reading the 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 chinese traditional medicine descriptions um and it's what it is is we're in a damn soup we're we're in a mess our society is saturated with chemicals and the best that I, i know how to do it is to measure it and then do what we're talking about or what we will talk about to try to restore a proper balance And I would like, you know, I do try to get my people to have a decent diet and lifestyle and take the proper supplements. And if someone has the ministry to get onto an organic diet, that's fantastic. But don't breathe when the bus drives by. Uh, It's, you know, we have a real problem in this country. We have gazillions of chemicals and none of them have really been safety tested, except by giving, you know, a shovel full to a mouse. And. Mouse yeah. peed on it, so it must be safe, you
1: know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's sad. Yeah. No, there's so many unregulated chemicals and a lot of them are ubiquitous in the environment now. So I think when they do those, you know, fat tissue biopsies or something, like basically everyone is toxic. One
0: hundred percent of us had styrofoam in the fat. One hundred percent That's crazy. That's yeah. so
1: crazy. Uh, so how can men, Alan? We can talk about now restoration of levels. Uh, we were we
0: were talking about women's. You asked. You mentioned yes, testosterone. yes, uh, yes. Let, Let me let's, just say let's that. Let's make sure we do that. Yeah. Um, testosterone is made from DHEA, and for a healthy young woman, uh, half the DHEA comes from her adrenal gland. Thank you, adrenals, and half from the ovaries. And a lot of women have their ovaries removed, still, uh, and so. Yeah. Uh, those women in menopause, now in menopause, a woman's testosterone level doesn't change much. It drops a little bit, you know, 5%, 10%. And their estrogen drops down way low. In fact, uh, a a menopausal woman has less testosterone, has less estrogen, less estrogen than a man in her
1: same age. Why why does the testosterone stay the same or about the same? Because it mostly comes
0: from, well, It stays the same because a healthy young woman makes her estradiol from testosterone. And at menopause, the uh, ovaries run out of eggs. So they stop making inhibin B. And they become resistant to FSH. And the brain is resistant. And actually, the brain is so sensitive to estrogen now that even a little bit of estrogen will inhibit it. That's a, a very interesting theory that I think is totally true on menopause, and so a woman basically is set up to make the same amount of testosterone she always made, but she now can no longer convert it to estradiol. The aromatase mm. has gone away, okay. And so, uh, women, if however they've had, and, and that's why you know you can find pictures of menopausal women on the internet with with a nice mustache, I've got one in my slide set, uh, because the testosterone stays the same, the estrogen goes away and their ratio starts to look like a man now. Mm -hmm. And So you give them a little estrogen, everything is back in balance. Now, some of my women do need more testosterone, usually because they've had their ovaries removed, so they've lost half of their supply. So you can make it up with about five milligrams a day of DHEA or maybe 10. I don't have any women taking testosterone. I've never given one of my women testosterone because I haven't needed to just a little bit of the right precursor at the right time of the day. Bingo. They should be fine.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and now switching back to the men, um, men with low yeah. T, how, how do we improve you know men's testosterone levels naturally?
0: Well, the, the best, best way I've got is, is actually pretty simple. Uh, diet and lifestyle um and then nutrition okay and if that fails you throw in some prescriptions Uh, but that's not naturally exactly so naturally i want my men to get eight hours of sleep a night and if they snore and they stop breathing gotta get treated for sleep apnea because sleep apnea is incredibly stressful Um, and i want my men to exercise for 30 minutes daily and if they just don't have time oh my god doc that's too difficult uh, do burst exercise three minutes a week. There's a brilliant BBC, uh, film, uh, lasts 51 minutes, uh, and it's done by a Dr. Mosley who, uh, was interested in his cardiovascular health. And so he made a little journey around Britain talking to experts. Uh, it's, a, a free video, a free view on Vimeo, uh, just Google BBC burst exercise, Mosley Vimeo. And, and you don't even need to sort the Vimeo pops up uh, and it's a little bit of exercise vastly improves insulin sensitivity, which really reduces belly fat, body fat and improves testosterone levels. Also, let's face it, personal work. I mean, I think everybody, my, my therapist says that everyone who incarnates in this world is a hero. And, you know, some heroes get PTSD and they're not treated. So I think all of us need to do some personal work and develop a spiritual walk. I mean, church is awesome, helps me. Meditation is awesome. I don't do it as much as I should. Get the meditation timer app, you know. But chilling down, the stress response in your brain is huge. Get the GABA levels down, uh, up. Get get the glutamate levels down. Just be thou chilled and then a diet of course uh you know we a good diet is described in three scientific ways one is low glycemic index eat food that doesn't push up your blood sugar very fast or very far number two is eat slowly accessible glucose so when we eat a carbohydrate which we should i think everybody needs some carbohydrates but it it should be a carbohydrate that is something other than pure glucose. There are about 24 different sugars. Glucose is just the one that tastes the sweetest, practically, you know? And so, uh, eat instead of white, golden brown flaky stuff like grits and white potatoes and popovers, we should eat broccoli and uh, carrots and red peppers, you know, eat red, green, purple, yellow, orange, vegetable, squashes. Uh, Those have complex carbohydrates that are digested slowly that are not pure glucose and they enter into our bloodstream slowly and the last thing is related to this which is the diet should be low insulinemic index so the, the aussies came up with this concept in 1994 and we want to eat food that doesn't require our body to make a whole bunch of insulin to deal with the sugar load that we got so the low glycemic index implies it. The slowly accessible glucose implies it. But to really do it, you have to lay off the non-nutritive sweeteners like you know, Splenda, Nutri-Sweet, Stevia. Stevia, all of these things provoke the release of insulin by a reflex, and it makes us fat. So anyway, um, but good diets for us are uh, uh, Schwartzbeam and uh, Riven's insulin resistance diet, the Mediterranean diet the Japanese traditional diet, uh, Mediterranean paleo ketogenic, and the candida, which is how I got into it. The candida diet is a great diet for people with insulin resistance, and it made people well, that I had no explanation for in 1988. So all of those things are useful, and then I throw some supplements in on them too, for what that's
1: worth. Um, Thank you. I just wanted to just reemphasize to our listeners that the glucose uh, or the glycemic index versus the insulinemic index that they are different you know sometimes people can have a low GI food but it might it might actually a low glycemic index food but it might actually raise the insulin it sounds like
0: absolutely i mean splenda is a zero yeah glycemic index food but it's got a massive insulin index i have a patient who took splenda and her 30 minute insulin was 147 it's just That's massive. crazy. It's
1: hard to, and, and stevia, too. Sorry for all you stevia lovers out there. You know, that's that's another one that tastes good and has zero, zero carbs, zero sugar, but but it sounds like it's going to raise that insulin up. Well,
0: it's it's because of a reflex. Our body okay. is beautifully made. Uh, when we put something sweet in our mouth and we start to eat it, yeah. Uh, our paleo body anticipates we're eating sugar. Yeah. And so it would like to have a little insulin ready when sugar arrives in the bloodstream. It's like the French, a French author said, it's like riding a bicycle. When you come to a, a turn, you start leaning before you get into the turn. So you don't fall off the bike. Yeah. In the turn and, and the body does the same thing by producing insulin. Okay. As soon as your tongue tastes something sweet, it, it goes from the gustducin receptors through the cord, through the, the, uh, uh lingual nerve to the cord of tympani down the vagus nerve. And it pops out. Uh, glucose. It's the same way the glipton uh, 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 stimulators work for diabetics. It's the same receptor.
1: I see your ENT background coming out there with the anatomy there.
0: Well, I've you, you operate on chordotropes a lot when you're in the ear, so you try not to bag them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good, good, good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, let's get into supplements a bit. What supplements do you recommend once people are doing the nutrition, the stress management lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Um, what supplements are you thinking there for, for, for low T?
0: Well, I mean, there's a just a few general supplements that I think in Louisville, Kentucky, all my patients probably need. A multivitamin twice a day, not once a day, twice a day, um, because you pee it out. Okay so quickly so you, you take it twice a day your body gets two shots at the brass ring of vitamin c 500 milligrams of each meal vitamin d3 of anywhere from 6,000 to 10,000 a day depending on your body size and i like a little calcium magnesium zinc mixture from solar ray it's just a good natural thing and i'll do other tests to see what they might need but those are kind of my basic right after the handshake also right after the handshake i give all of my patients and this was Set out on my desk when I still had new patients coming in. Cytosine. Oh yes, a AD, nice. Desiccated adrenal bovine cortex, uh, and the key is neonatal because the babies are born with all the nutrition in the adrenal cortex that their mother can give them. If you take an old bull like me, my my adrenal's bagged out, you know. And you take the uh, adrenal from. Cows that have lived out their useful time and have been put on a railroad car and taken to a feedlot and then turned into leather and sinew, there's no nutrition left in it. So that gives our body the nutritional cofactors that our enzymes need to convert cholesterol to the sex hormones. And that happens in the adrenal gland, which is why the adrenal cortex, but it happens in the gonads big time. It happens in the brain. Our brain makes neurosteroids that mellow out our mood. Neurosteroids stimulate the same receptor that Valium does and and Prozac Uh, and also our mitochondria. Our mitochondria make their own steroids. They have their own side chain cleavage enzymes. So if you provide those nutrients to our mitochondria, then they can give us better energy if they've been lacking it. And the American diet is sadly lacking in nutrients. You know, we eat the muscle. If we were intelligent, we'd eat the whole animal.
1: Yeah, like the organs, answers. whole n- nose to yeah. tail. No, that, that's really great. And I've definitely tried, uh, definitely some of our, our people here have tried um, that that per your recommendation. So I want to thank you for that. The cytozyme seems to it's, be a game changer for for people. Yeah. I
0: ask my patients, what's the best thing you're doing? And a
1: lot of them say the Cytosyme. Cytosine. I, I want to ask you about integrative modalities. So acupuncture, body work, would that be helpful for, for low T? Uh, I,
0: I would put that under or it couldn't hurt if the patient couldn't afford it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if there's a... I got... got, My people around here are not rich. I'm a middle-class guy, and I see middle-class patients who don't have a huge budget.
1: You're in Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And so... uh, But I grew up in D.C., you know, middle-class neighborhood. So um, I I try to gauge what I ask people to do based on what they can do and prioritize. Uh, DHEA is my next supplement. That's okay. a partly made precursor. And the beautiful thing about it is, is you drop it in behind the roadblocks that are erected by stress. Stress blocks a production of LH. And LH converts 17-hydroxypregnenolone to DHEA. And so you give DHEA, you just bypass that person's stress response. And now you can fill their testosterone pathways distal to the obstruction of stress. So DHEA has been really good to me. I'll, I'll give. I'll use berberine over the counter to improve insulin sensitivity, reduce obesity, re- reduce insulin levels. Uh, Chryson, blue passion flower, 700 to 900 milligrams a day, is a great aromatase inhibitor, a natural aromatase inhibitor. There are other ones out. Uh, I've got a friend who's a naturopath, and he always tells me something that I can never remember, and. Uh, it will keep you from losing your testosterone to estrogen. Okay, and one of my okay. patients absolutely loves it and refuses to use anything else, even though it's a fraction of the cost. Okay, uh, I three C indole three carbonyl, is a uh, product in the uh, cruciferous vegetables, you know, broccoli, cauliflower, that all the kids hate. Uh, and what it does is it directs it. <laughs> It puts toxic waste into environmentally friendly containers. Testosterone is converted to estradiol, is converted to estrone, is converted to either to hydroxyestrone or 16 alpha hydroxyestrone, which is a bad actor and has a lot of strong estrogen stimulating effects. And so the I3C keeps you from making the 16 alpha hydroxyestrone. And so it neutralizes the effects of the waste estrogen that comes from the testosterone you're giving your fellas. And I think it personally, I believe it's going to protect your prostate from enlargement. Got it. Got uh, it. And then salt, I'm sorry, go
1: ahead. Andy. Oh, so, sorry, Alan, uh, back to the DHA for, for yeah. men. What What is your dosing there normally? Uh,
0: 25 milligrams at bedtime. Uh, if you have a guy in his seventies and eighties, I've had to drop it down to five because what happens is they start making so much testosterone and get crunchy. It's Oh, my God, they get so irritable. And, uh, you know, their wife will bring him in by the ear saying, do something with him. And uh, <laughs> so you need know, to okay. give him just a little bit. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, there's a, a few studies that show 50 milligrams of DHEA can give some guys an edge. Uh, don't, uh, honestly, really don't give guys more than that. I've tried and tried and tried. And all you get is problems too much dhea goes to the androgen receptor and it is a weak agonist that blocks the androgen receptor so that your testosterone and dihydrotestosterone can't get to it so it works against you and then the the dhea also goes to your skin and remember that local conversion of testosterone to other stuff well in your skin The hair glands, the sweat glands, the skin is very active in making steroids, oddly enough. I guess it's because we make vitamin D out of cholesterol. But the DHEA is turned into DHT in the skin. And so you get, you know, outlaw hair growth and a lot of acne, especially all over the back. And it's damned uncomfortable. So, you know, hold the DHEA to 50. And I think really very few of my guys take any more than 25 at bedtime. I like okay. it at bedtime because overnight while you're sleeping is when you're making all your steroids. Okay. When you go to bed, testosterone levels are the lowest they get all day. When you wake up in the morning, they're the highest they get all day. And so, of course, we're expected to perform our husbandly duties at bedtime when our testosterone is low. But, uh, you know, it's life's unfair. Life's Maybe
1: unfair. switch it around then to the morning, it sounds like, is <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, that's great. Right. And, and, if, and if it sounds can... like you yeah. can get
0: enough sleep, you'll be perky in the morning when you wake up before your alarm and have some energy to do that.
1: There you go. That's great. <laughs> yes, great advice here, all the, the men out there. Uh, just back to the labs for a second. So if the testosterone is lowest at night and highest in the morning, do we want to check the testosterone for lab work in the morning? Is that great the best question? Time? No, I don't no. think okay. so.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, look, if you ask the experts to the endocrine society, they say, oh, and, and the urologists, they all say, testosterone should be checked at nine o'clock in the morning and i've i've had a lot of kids and i know you don't check the kids when they're making happy noises and everybody's getting along well you check the little beggars when they're quiet that's when you need to check the kids because okay. uh, they're up to something so i check my testosterone levels in the early afternoon i don't check it you know at four o'clock before the lab closes I, i'm a big believer in mid-dose you know if you have a peak and a trough I don't test it at peak. I don't test it at trough. I test it about it in the middle because that's about the average uh, a person is going to have that day. So, and it when I test thyroid uh, treatment levels, I will often test the sex hormones at the same time, and I test my thyroid okay. the same way between doses. So it's usually around
1: noon. So that's when I test it. Okay, around noon or one or yeah. something. Okay, got it. Um, you were talking about Salpa before. Let's let's kind of go back. I just to that mentioned trend. it. Saw palmetto
0: really is an herb that I give to women instead of men. Okay. Um, it's but for men, it's it's good uh, for symptoms of prostatism, lower urinary tract symptoms, but not for the reason most people think. Uh, Saw palmetto is a five alpha reductase inhibitor, so it blocks the conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. But that's not really why it works in the prostate. It also contains uh, chemicals that relax smooth muscle and the prostate symptoms are usually caused by lack of nitric oxide uh stimulation and problems relaxing your smooth muscle so uh you know the best treatments for prostatism uh is not dutasteride really it's uh cialis and and mm-hmm. and supplements or, or
1: maybe nitric oxide supplements then would be potential yeah helpful. and that's
0: on my list of Things that I use is L-arginine, L-citrulline, and b nice. Those three guys really restore nitric oxide synthesis. You can get a product called Neo Forty,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or you can just go to uh, mm-hmm. vitamin shop. They carry L-citrulline. And, are, and
1: yeah, are you are you into they, the salary nitric oxide test strips? We we No, that, but, uh...
0: they, they they A guy came and lectured at AEM, and handed it out. And, 95% of the people in the audience had a bad nitric oxide test and and this is a big group of integrated practitioners who are doing all the stuff so i had a hard time thinking that the test was as accurate as the speaker claimed personally yeah. maybe yeah. It, maybe he's right i mean maybe it's
1: you know. either 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 it's kind of yeah everyone is low or you know it's showing that as low anyway but it's yeah it's, right. it's it's a interesting issue it is interesting
0: and so that, that's it for the over the counters uh, um, that I use. And then medications, if uh, if we're getting no joy, you know, uh, and medications.
1: We need and, joy. Yeah, uh, We need joy. We need joy.
0: So uh, metformin is a lot less expensive than berberine, and it works as well or better. Um, you know, uh, an Astrozole, uh one quarter tablet every other day or every third day, it's like, $10 a month, even if you don't put it on your insurance. It's a <laughs> lot cheaper than <laughs> Um And then clomiphene is fantastic to restore the normal hypothalamic, pituitary, gonadal stimulation, bring the LH and FSH back up to normal, or ever so slightly high, and bring the testosterone to a really good range. I, are I'm you amazed. stacking
1: these medicines, Alan, with your patients, or are they like one at a time and see how they do?
0: Um, like
1: clomiphene and define and what you all. mean by
0: stacking. Uh, you mean you give them all at the same time?
1: Um, well, I don't mean playing Jenga, although that's another <laughs> thing. But um, yeah, either either you can give them all at the same time, all at one time, or do you stack them? You I, know, in a way where you're serially adding them if they're not getting results. Yeah,
0: I, I'd I'd say sequentially is, yeah. is a, a better word than stack. But yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the the one of the basic rules in therapeutics, I think is try not to do two things at one time because if something yeah. blows up in your face, you'd like to know which one it is. Correct. And my patients awesome. tend to be fairly sensitive. You know, they've okay. been sick a long time and they're kind of puny. Um, so uh, I, I, I look at the lab and the indications. Now, in the December 2022, 20, this is the most recent December issue of Townsend, I put in a, an article on uh, restoring testosterone secretion In patients with late onset hypogonadism, and so it talks about all the other stuff besides giving testosterone, and it will give the details and how I treat it and why I treat it and how much I use of what. So it's I think it's a really good article.
1: I think you'll like it if you haven't definitely pick pick that up. It's and it's it's a free um, download online. Is it is that when they started converting to from paper to to online, yeah. or is it still is it still a paper uh, no, it's, paper one?
0: That was the next to last issue. the okay. January Okay, it's, issue a, it's definitely my
1: email. One. And shout out to Jonathan Collin and all the work that that he's done and the whole editorial staff. And I know you're a big yes. part of that too. With, I'm uh, a big fan a of
0: theirs. I'm not yeah. a big part of it. I'm just really
1: lucky that you read a lot of articles for that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I said yeah.
0: my old chairman sent an article into the journal Urology once. <laughs> oh, nice. How'd that <laughs> they, go? They weren't. I, I, I just wrote it for the boss, you know, to show him what I was thinking. And so he thought, well, this looks like it could be published. And, and it it uh, it was dumped on, should I say. It, it, uh, it, it, it didn't, didn't fit
1: inside the box. It, yeah. it didn't yeah.
0: fit in the needs of the journal. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. So uh, I, I'm really lucky that Townsend has, has published me. But the, the other, but clomiphene is a CIRM. It's an estrogen receptor blocker. And what it does, it it acts in the brain for sex hormones the same way low-dose naltrexone acts in the brain for cortisol. It blocks the receptor for a little while, and the brain says, oh, I have to push harder. And then it pushes out more LH and FSH. And when you've got the cytosine AD to provide all the nutritional cofactors, and you've got the DHEA to provide the precursor, or even if not, then oftentimes the body will just crank it right up. Testosterone is my—I've got a slide I, I could show you, but it's getting late. Uh, but testosterone is my last resort. And true to say, right now in my practice, which is shrunken as I've gotten old, uh, I'm trying not to see new patients. I don't, and uh, so. Uh, but I don't have anybody taking testosterone, either topical, injection, sublingual, anything in my practice. There's one guy. Who's gone out to get pellet implants from a doc because he wanted to have supra physiological doses, which I have found in the literature is dangerous. So that's that's a final comment that maybe we can say before we close is that you know, too much is too much, and it shortens your lifespan. Too little shortens your lifespan, too much shortens your lifespan. There's a reason that average is average, and the reason is that gives our ancestors the best survival.
1: Got Chances. It, it it's, uh, and that's a great closing point, Alan. It sounds like you've been able to really help your patients and get that testosterone up to, you know, optimal without going overboard, even without yeah. giving them, you know, "quote unquote" hormone replacement medication testosterone, yeah. which is I, pretty amazing. I've
0: guys with total testosterone in the six hundreds and free testosterone well up into the twenties with a immunoassay, doing nothing but clomiphene and and nutrition. Got so it. That's, that's so great. Plenty.
1: That's so great. Thank you so much. Uh, well, um, I, and I, I, we should say one more thing about that, because if someone is, say, 20 or 30 years old and they're trying to have kids, um, you know, I know there's a question about if someone has testosterone uh, exogenously, that would suppress absolutely. their pituitary hormones, and then that would lead to, functionally, them not being fertile, potentially. That's right, that Andy, accurate? absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I always think of Sean Connery... It- well, will shrivel your balls to the size of raisins. You know. It, <laughs> <laughs> Was
1: that in one of his movies, or no?
0: Oh, just oh, just, just just the accent is great, great, great accent. You
1: should go to Hollywood and uh, check uh, that hardly, out. Yeah. Hardly, But
0: uh, <laughs> it's uh, there. There are a lot of articles on uh, young men with uh, primary hypogonadism and, and treating them with LH and FSH. And if you have an older guy, uh, you can restore his fertility with clomiphene. Uh, right. E- easy breezy. And and then you, you know, like, the, yeah. So, there are so, so you're of, saying. a lot of fun stories that are kind of vulgar, <laughs> and I'll skip them all.
1: So, we don't want to shrink our balls like raisins, number <laughs> one. <laughs> and in terms of going to that breakfast analogy, we want to have a good amount of testosterone, but kind of like the bowls of oatmeal, three little beers in the oatmeal. We don't want to have a cold oatmeal or hot oatmeal. We want to have it just right. 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 It sounds yeah, like.
0: In, in my women's hormone replacement lecture, I have a slide that talks about the, the people who argue that uh, women should have hormone replacement are correct because the, the risk of complications, the lower your estrogen level, the higher your risk of complications. But the people who say that estrogen replacement is a bad idea are also correct because the higher your level of estrogen, the higher your rate of risk of complications. So what I'd look to do is find the valley. Where's the, the lowest part where you have the least risk of any complication? And bear in mind that this is off the baseline just a little bit. So there's no place where there's no risk. And we're all gonna die, you know. Yeah. So, what is the
1: balance between yin and yang? It sounds like is what we're looking here for we there. Go. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you the so Dow much, Alan, for coming right. on. Yes, the Dallas. Thank you so much for coming on today, Alan. This has been a really enlightening conversation about low T. Uh, well, and uh, thank you so much for offering your wisdom to you know all of us here in our, our community. We really appreciate you. Well, Andy,
0: I think you're really an awesome physician, and you've made a really good practice with smart people giving great medical care seems, in my hometown, yes. which I really appreciate. Thank, thank you, you. Thank very you. very much.
1: So we have one more question for you, which we kind of do as a bonus, if, if you don't mind. So we have a sure. question on, basically, um, we talked about uh, cheap Scots and uh, Chinese a little <laughs> earlier. So we're going to talk about how to make integrative healthcare more accessible. What can we do to focus on the small <clears throat> steps that we can improve our health? So we kind of love to hear from you. You know, we're, we're in an inflationary period right now. There, you know, our... Our money probably can't even buy like a a cheap plastic toy now, but (laughs) things like that. But what is one thing under $20 that you feel has personally transformed your health that, you know, maybe listeners can kind of take practically? And it doesn't have to be about low T. It can just be about any, really anything. Well, (laughs) I don't want to dissemble.
0: Uh, I've, I've Hashimoto's disease and low thyroid and when I first started taking it, armor thyroid was less than $20 for a hundred. <laughs> that was really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think the best bargain that we can do right now is a good diet and lifestyle. I mean, absolutely no sugar, no starch, really cool it with the fruit diet. Um, it's nice. it's more it's more expensive unfortunately shopping the periphery of the supermarket is more expensive you have to buy good vegetables you have to buy some meat that you don't have to buy a lot of meat you should buy some buy eggs you know um but god avoid the packaged and the canned and the tinned and the stuff that is in a bag and lasts for, for six years but, on your yeah, but,
1: but but that more expensive and regenerative um, organic whole foods is really a the best return on investment that that we could have so in a way it would save money over time with people that save their health care bills and stuff like that
0: it really does i i'm i went on to uh, a candida type diet in in the late 80s and i'm 70 right now and i don't Feel it except when I had to have my hip replaced where I fell on it during ice skating repeatedly. The second time got me after wow, seven yeah. years of degeneration. So seven years and two falls after, uh, but I think I'm in pretty good metabolic shape. And I see patients who are a lot younger than I am who are in tough shape. And um, that's I think the best bargain you can do is is, is good diet and lifestyle. It's hard to walk. Uh, the first 10 steps are really hard, but it's cheap to go out and walk around your neighborhood for a mile. Walk for 30 minutes every day. It's cheap to go to bed on time. Turn off the TV. Turn off the blue lights. You know, uh, Leave a night light out
1: so if you have to get up and go to the bathroom, you don't turn on the light and ruin your melatonin.
0: So diet and lifestyle.
1: Yeah, yeah and serious. being aware of that. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you so well, much again. Great to see you. you. Thank you, Andy. God bless you, man. Thanks for the good work you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. A quick reminder that the information we share on this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We highly recommend that you speak to a qualified healthcare provider before making any medical or healthcare decisions. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to subscribe and leave us a review. Your reviews help us reach more people and continue to offer innovative insights and information to better optimize your health and wellness.